This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. $15 for $120. That's why Murray agreed to travel 1,500 kilometers from Vancouver Island to the Northern California coast. The year was 1930, and a $15 bottle of whiskey bought in Vancouver was worth $120 on the beaches of Half Moon Bay. That made the trip go down easy. Well, easier. It was hard to sail with no light. The bar owner's man was waiting on the beach. Murray unloaded quickly as Wolf counted the money. It was a quick, if nerve-wracking, payday. Murray had begun to row them away when he saw her, glowing beneath the moon on the edge of the bluff. He pulled his oars up quick, poking Wolf gently. Look, look up on the ridge. Wolf ignored him, still consulting his charts, holding them up to the moon. Her head was down and her hair was wild as the wind picked up. Murray had never seen anything more beautiful. He leaned forward. She leaned forward. And then she fell. She hit the choppy surface with a bone-crunching snap, and the waves crashed over her, swallowing her almost contentedly. Murray dove after her. The water was frigid, and he struggled to open his stinging eyes. He swam down, reaching, grasping in the dark. He was beginning to lose hope when a light appeared beneath him. At first, he thought it was the moon, but then he realized it was a flash of metal, a necklace floating in the dark. He swam closer and reached, reached, nearly had it now, And there she was, dark hair floating in dark water, her skin nearly glowing blue. He grabbed her hand and pulled upward, desperately kicking his legs, but she wouldn't move. He turned back downward to examine her feet, assuming the poor drowning girl was caught somewhere. But before he could reach further down in the dark, he felt the sharp, slimy grip of seaweed a forest of inky strands floating in the dark water as far as the eye could see. When he reached to find her foot, nothing was there. She was suddenly above him, floating, still, as if independent of the current. The seaweed strands clung to him with the motion of the rising tide, and then they gripped tighter, nodding, pulling. He kicked and kicked, but the seaweed was climbing up his legs. His lungs burned. His chest seemed to be caving in. A cold hand touched his face. The girl opened her eyes and smiled. Then she released her hand and let the seagrass pull him down, waving as he silently screamed. 
Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to Moss Beach Distillery, a former rum-running operation turned restaurant, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as ParCast's other podcasts, on your favorite podcast directory. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, on Twitter, at ParCast Network, and at ParCast.com. Many of you have asked how you can support Haunted Places. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you head up California's Pacific Coast Highway, past Malibu and Santa Barbara, Santa Maria and Monterey, just before San Francisco and just beyond Half Moon Bay, high on a cliff above the crashing sea, you'll find Frank's Place, a 91-year-old restaurant, a little roadhouse speakeasy, perfectly positioned to buy from Pacific rum runners and Canadian bootleggers, the beach at the foot of the steep cliffs, an easy berth for a clandestine Prohibition-era delivery. It was a rough place, and more than a few patrons were carried out boozed and battered. But one night at Frank's place was particularly bloody. Two women and one man. A tragic love triangle that ended with all of them dead. After the Prohibition, the whiskey stopped flowing. But the ghost, known as the Blue Lady, lingers on, locking doors, moving objects, and whispering when she's feeling playful or lonely. But there's a dark side to what is now called the Moss Beach Distillery. Mysterious car accidents and seaweed-covered ghosts crawling up from the ocean below. Stars twinkled through the large glass windows. Smoke hung in a cloud above the patrons' heads. Everyone was waiting for John Contina to tinkle the ivories and set the mood. Anna Philbrick was among the waiting crowd. She sipped her old-fashioned slowly as she cast her eyes about the room. Men in fancy suits talked to each other in hushed voices. They were planning some sort of retribution it wasn't her concern. She knew the reputation this place had. All kinds of unsavory people gathered here to discuss illicit business. The restaurant rested on a cliff just above the sea. Even though you weren't far from the bustling city of San Francisco, there was an isolated feeling that crept along your shoulders as soon as you hit Moss Beach. Without Contina playing, the room was too quiet. The Canadian whiskey had begun to burn Anna's throat when a man in an untucked shirt sat down near her. She could smell the moonshine on his breath. His eyes had gone glassy, distant, and cold. She thought of alerting the waitstaff to him. They didn't like trouble. It meant more bribes to the police and a ruined night for their patrons. 
and they also weren't inclined to interfere in personal matters, as the manager would call them. A squabble between spouses, a snitch being carried out to the car by an enforcer or two. Anna's attention shifted as Johnny entered the dining room and seated himself at the piano bench. He played with confidence that left the whole room enraptured. The entire room, except for the man next to her. He clutched his glass so tightly that she worried it would break. But he was of no consequence to her. She'd come here for Johnny, and she planned to leave with him. She'd been his lover for six months now, and his passion never faded. As Johnny stepped down from the bench, Anna rose to meet him, but the unkempt man got there first. His voice was tense, and his grip on Johnny's arm looked crushing, but Johnny, ever cool, just nodded to the exterior door. The two men stepped outside, and Anna followed them, keeping close to the shadows below the building's roof. A light drizzle of rain had moved in. Dark rain clouds loomed on the horizon. There would be a storm soon. Johnny's relaxed smile never left his face as the other man started shouting. The cold rain bit at Anna's thin dress, but she was transfixed. The man waved his arms in the air, and Johnny just shrugged. His lack of reaction enraged the man further. He shoved Johnny. Johnny staggered back a few steps, and his hands balled into fists. She wanted to deck the stranger, but she didn't know if it was the right move. After all, she didn't know what they were fighting about. The stranger grabbed Johnny by the lapels and dragged him toward the cliff. Johnny tried to dig his feet into something, anything, but it was no use. The other man raised Johnny over the edge of the cliff. Anna left the comfort of her hiding place and leapt on to the other man, taking him by surprise. The stranger dropped Johnny, but Johnny clung tightly to the edge of the cliff as the stranger knocked Anna to the wet ground. She told him the police were on the way. It was a lie but she hoped it would be enough to scare him off. Thunder cracked in the distance as the stranger loomed over Anna with a sickly smile on his lips. He liked the challenge. Anna shivered against the cold rain, taking a few steps back. The stranger lunged toward her. His fingers dug into her skin. She kicked at him, but he was too strong. And then he was gone. Johnny had pulled him off of her. The two men traded blows. They veered too close to the cliff again, and Anna swallowed a yelp. Thunder cracked like a gunshot. Johnny knocked the other man to the ground. Lightning flashed. A shimmer of metal in the moonlight caught Anna's attention. The stranger had flicked open a switchblade. Johnny backed up, the only direction he could, to the edge of the jagged cliff. Anna screamed for help, but the revelry inside was too loud. They didn't hear her. Hadn't even realized those dark silhouettes outside the windows were in a duel to the death. She was running for the door to the restaurant when the fighting stopped. She turned just in time to see Johnny fall away. His white shirt bloody and tattered. She didn't hear him hit the ground far below. 
whether it was soft sand or boiling waves. He couldn't have survived it either way. She turned and ran, slamming through the back door. But the stranger was already gaining. She quickly composed herself. She quietly pulled aside a waiter and asked him to call the police. He reminded her that their clientele wasn't on good terms with the boys in blue. Anna begged him to listen to her, but the stranger was striding close. He wouldn't murder her in the crowded dining room, she thought. Maybe a diner would come to her aid. No, on second thought, this wasn't the kind of place where help was given. She dashed from the dining room and into the staff hallway, past the kitchen, the office, finally reaching the last door she saw. She locked it tightly behind her and waited for her shaking to subside. Instinct had carried her to Johnny's dressing room. She needed something to do, something to keep her body from tensing at the sound of passing footsteps. She searched for a cigarette, opening drawer after drawer. In the last one, there were letters. They were love letters, and they weren't from her. She didn't know why she read them. Perhaps she wanted to hurt herself the way the man had hurt Johnny. She and Johnny had never talked about what they were to each other, but she hadn't expected the stab of betrayal that coursed through her as she read them. Johnny and his other lover, Mary Ellen, had a secret code. If she appeared in the bar in a blue dress, he knew that there was a room rented next door for them. If she wore any other color, a rendezvous just wasn't possible. A relentless pounding on the door stopped Anna's heart. She didn't speak. She didn't breathe, for fear of letting the stranger know that she was inside. The door shook on its hinges. Anna hid under Johnny's dressing table, praying that the man wouldn't find her. An almost beast-like growl ripped from the man's lips as the door flew open. She prayed and kept quiet, watching the dark boots move slowly around the room, hunting. Finally, the steps moved toward the door. She held her breath just one more second. She was growing lightheaded. Step, step. Suddenly, he grabbed her by the hair and yanked her up to meet his eyes. Please, she began. But he shushed her and grabbed her arm tightly, making them look more like quarreling lovers than a tormentor and his prey. They walked through the restaurant slowly. None of the patrons paid them any attention. As the man opened the front door to pull Anna outside, two policemen stepped through. She wanted to scream, but it caught in her throat as she felt the switchblade press against her ribs. The police had that somber, apologetic way about them, nearly stumbling over their feet to explain to Frank why they arrived in uniform. They'd just come from Bayshore Drive, they said. They needed to call the station. Some beautiful dame had just driven off the road in the fog, all clad in blue, with her makeup done, like she was going to some sort of party. Anna shivered. Mary Ellen, the woman who wore blue to catch Johnny's eye. She was dead. 
and so was Johnny. They were together, even in death. Tears filled her eyes, but she wasn't quite sure who she was crying for. The stranger turned his eyes back to her. His hand gripped her arm tighter till she let out a yelp of pain. The police mistook the sound for sorrow and walked farther into the restaurant. The stranger dragged her outside and threw her forward. She stumbled over her own feet as she tried to get away. Realization dawned. It was all connected. Mary Ellen, Johnny, this frightening man. And now, death was coming for her, too. He told her it didn't have to be this way. He needed to kill Johnny for what happened between him and Mary Ellen. Anna could have lived if only she minded her own business. But she didn't believe him. There was no soul behind his eyes. Only rage. She punched and clawed, trying desperately to pull away as he held even tighter. Finally, she ducked underneath his outstretched arms and made a run for it. She looked back at him as she ran for her life, forgetting about the cliff. Her body flew through the air, and she was swallowed up by the dark gray water. The next morning, the body of John Contina washed up on the shore. Mary Ellen's husband was never seen again. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to Haunted Places. Ever since that fateful night, there's been an eternal regular at the bar beside the sea. A lady all in blue. She moves objects, locks doors, walks the dining room at night, whispers sweet nothings in your ear. Frank's place is now known as Moss Beach Distillery, but she didn't take the change well at first. The distillery's computers kept changing their date to 1927, the year that the speakeasy opened as Frank's place. Aside from a bit of spectral hacking, the blue lady is gentle, even playful. But sometimes, games can go a bit too far. Neither sheriff had expected the invite to a seance at the Moss Beach Distillery. They didn't know why the ghost enthusiasts thought they could protect them. Perhaps the whole paranormal craze was a side effect of the Amityville Horror, which was still racking up numbers at the box office. Robert and David were more interested in sitcoms than horror, but they figured that the skittish supernatural fans would be an easy laugh. They were already used to taking calls about suspicious sightings near the restaurant. Every time they sent a rookie to go investigate, nothing ever turned up. Just kids playing pranks on a police force that had more important things to worry about. 
It hadn't been long since the Zodiac Killer terrorized California. But these spook enthusiasts had invited them, and they couldn't pass up the opportunity to understand why people were so fixated on the place. So Robert and David headed to the famed restaurant in their civvies. The sky was clear, and there was no denying the beauty of the ocean as it glimmered under the moon. They weren't used to seeing a nearly empty restaurant. The distillery was usually packed with anyone looking for a nice drink and a good view. Tourists on the way to and from the Bay Area, eccentric silicon wonks from San Jose. But tonight, the lights were dim, and a long rectangle of tables dominated the room. The source of the only light, aside from the pale moon out of the dark wide windows. A woman wearing a long robe and a purple turban entered the room from the kitchen. Robert offered out his hand for her to shake, but she ignored it and pulled him into her arms. Dave chuckled. The woman introduced herself as Madam Audley. As soon as she let go of Rob, she moved on to Dave, stifling his laugh in her skeletal embrace. Guests trickled in behind them, and Madam Audley moved on to welcome them. Robert and Dave took their seats at the large rectangle, their backs to the windows. The quiet hum of the air conditioner cut out. Madame Audley clapped her hands together and told everyone it was time for the ceremony to begin. She pulled out a silver pendant that she swung back and forth. A few people continued talking under their breath until she cleared her throat. She explained to the guests that the spirit would only be willing to talk with them if they remained quiet. Robert's eyes drooped. He'd had a long day, and the quiet made it all too easy to fall asleep. Something nudged him in the ribs. His eyes popped open, and he glared at Dave. But Dave held up his hands in mock innocence. Madame Audley began with a long prayer that granted the participants safety in their endeavors to contact the spirit world. Can't be too careful, she said. Finally, she closed her eyes and set her hands on the table. She asked the spirits to reach out, to show themselves. Robert watched as Madame Audley took out a diamond pendant, asking the spirit to move it in a circle for yes or back and forth for no. But the pendant remained still. They waited for what felt like an eternity, but not even the wind moved the small talisman. Madame Audley tried her question again, asking if the spirit had business that needed to be finished. There was no response. Madame Audley switched topics, provoking the spirits, even insulting them, hoping to draw them out. The group waited with bated breath. Nothing happened. She shouted again. Nothing happened. This had been a waste of time. Robert couldn't even remember why he'd wanted to come. They should have at least offered a meal on top of the paltry payment. A giggle came from the other side of the table. He slowly opened one eye, then the other. A woman in a shimmering blue silk dress smiled at him, conspiratorially. She rolled her eyes as Madame Audley began muttering again. 
She had a radiant smile, and Robert wondered how he hadn't noticed her before. He winked at her. Perhaps this night wasn't a total waste. A hush came over the room as Madame Audley gathered her strength. One final plea for the spirits from 50 years ago to give us some sign that they were there. They all waited, eyes shut, breathing in a shared, slow, shallow rhythm. Even Robert suspended his disbelief in that moment. The room was quiet and empty, offering a void waiting to be filled. But nothing ever showed up. As the disappointed spiritualists filed out, Robert looked for the woman in blue. Maybe he could get a number, even offered to drive her home. But she was nowhere to be found. He asked Dave if he'd seen the beautiful woman in the blue dress, but Dave just laughed at him. Only Robert would try to pick up a woman at a seance. No wonder she fled. Still, he stayed until everyone was gone, just to make sure, said goodnight and thank you to the organizer of the failed event, watched the lights in the Spanish-style building go out, leaving only the darkness and the waves down below. Dave was still teasing him when they got on the road. They drove in silence, except for the radio. The song of the summer. But then, the station changed on its own. The music was old, the kind his grandparents had listened to when they were kids. He considered changing it, but something about the tinny horns fit their journey through the beachfront fog covering Bayshore Drive. The moon was hidden making it harder for Robert to navigate the winding road. He turned his high beams on, the pale white lights piercing the smoky wet mist. She was standing in the middle of the road, his lady in blue. Her dress glittered under the moon and mist. In that small instant, he wasn't sure if she was laughing or crying, just that her mouth had curled into something ugly. Rob! Dave began, mouth agape. He swerved to avoid hitting her. The car slammed into the guardrail, pushing it to its limit as the metal jutted out over the seaside cliffs. The high beams remained undamaged, shining into the darkness like a lighthouse overlooking Half Moon Bay. Robert turned to check on David. He'd hit his head and was bleeding badly. They needed help. Robert tried to pull himself up and out of the car, but his vision swam as his head raised. Still, he pushed the car door open, stumbling out on his hands and knees. He needed to find the woman in blue to make sure that that sickening crunch had been the guardrail and not her. But she was gone. Robert collapsed. When he opened his eyes, he was lying in a scratchy hospital bed. He grasped a little too hard at the nurse who was taking his vitals. Was Dave all right? What about the woman? Dave is fine, the nurse assured him. But woman, what was he talking about? It was a single car crash. A woman, he protested, never more sure of anything in his life. The mist does funny things, she said 
and left him alone with his thoughts. Robert would never drive that curve again, physically stopping the car to switch seats with his passenger if necessary. Dave didn't begrudge him that. The accident had been traumatic for both of them. But when Dave was driving, he couldn't see the far-off look in Robert's eyes as they took the hairpin turn. Couldn't hear the quiet, sinister giggle that echoed in his ears. It was more than a bad memory that was haunting him. <laughs> we'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now, let's continue the story. The Moss Beach Distillery's reputation precedes it, attracting supernatural fans to take pilgrimages of their own to the restaurant by the sea. But the Blue Lady has been more private of late, making fewer and fewer appearances in the well-trafficked dining room. That doesn't mean she's gone. She'd rather stick to haunting the people she knows, the staff. Carl had never expected to be working at a haunted restaurant, but he needed a job and wanted to get some high-end cuisine experience under his belt. The ghost story was a curious little detail, nothing more. Sure, there were rumors of locked doors, bottles moving around on their own, and a woman made out of mist. But they just said that stuff to set the tone, right? His manager sent him to clean the women's bathroom during his first shift. Normal paying-your-dues sort of stuff. He squeezed some cleaner onto the mirror and wiped it with a rag. The glass seemed fine, but he wanted to do his best. He'd just finished his first circle when he saw it. The faint outline of a pale blue woman in the mirror. He closed his eyes tightly and opened them again expecting her to be gone. She was still there. He took a breath, composed himself. Then a tinny, creepy laugh carried from just behind the mirror. He ran out of the restroom screaming, slamming straight into his manager and all of his co-workers. It was just a trick. A backlit mask through a semi-transparent mirror and a ghostly laugh track. It was an Easter egg, a little wink to make the customers feel they were getting their money's worth, nothing more. They ran it by the new people just to make sure it still works. It wasn't the only trick the restaurant used. Bar lights swung back and forth. Stools seemed to change shape at will. One of his co-workers told him to be grateful. There used to be grainy, black-and-white footage that would interrupt whatever was playing on the TV. They got too many complaints about that one and had to take it out, along with the shaking restaurant tables. Too messy. As the last customers walked off into the night, Carl was left alone in the dining room. There were a few staff members back in the kitchen and the office, but he was charged with shutting the main room down for the night. He turned off all of the effects first, knowing that if any of them went off while he was cleaning, he was sure to jump out of his skin. He placed the chairs on top of the tables and left the dining room to get a bucket and mop from the back. Soft music filtered through the speakers as he returned. 
A waiter must have decided the quiet was too much. He dunked the mop into the bucket before sloshing the wood floor with water and cleaning solution. He heard a noise behind him, but he didn't pay attention to it. His boss must have forgotten something. As he turned to put the mop back into the bucket, goosebumps rose on his skin. All the chairs on the opposite side of the room were arranged into a pyramid. It looked precarious, yet somehow solid, like it took a long time. He told himself it was just a joke. Whoever had passed behind him had rearranged the chairs, probably with a few friends who were now sniggering out in the parking lot. It was a juvenile attempt to assert that this was their place and not his. He wasn't going to be cowed. He went back to his work. The music from the speakers grew louder. And then, one of the taps at the bar turned on by itself. He went toward the bar to turn it off, but felt something at his back. He turned, but all he saw were the dark windows, the restaurant's lights turning them into obsidian mirrors. His own silhouette seemed to shimmer. A mist had risen in the room. No, it had to be another trick, like the bathroom mirror. Carl didn't think the restaurant was actually haunted anymore, if it ever was to begin with. Two misty shapes danced through him, soft and out of focus, wet and cold. His stomach turned. His forehead was drenched in sweat. He turned his focus to the pyramid of chairs, He'd have to take them down. A stray call of good night came from somewhere far away. Carl's head turned toward the sound, and the chairs fell forward and on top of him. His body twitched under the weight. He felt the bruises forming where every heavy wooden point touched his clammy skin. The lights went out. He took a large, gasping breath of air, turned his face toward the wide windows. Moonlight filtered into the room, broken by several dark silhouettes. But they weren't staff. Their clothes were old, and they wore vicious smiles. They weren't facing him, but he could see their teeth glinting through the viscous, shadowy back of their heads. They were all looking out at the full moon, the cliffs below holding tumblers of dark black liquid, watching forever as the tides and time moved on, uncaring, strangely silent in their revelry. Carl struggled under the weight of the chairs. He tried to roll to his side, but they jostled and he feared being hit again. Slowly, he crawled forward. The chair directly above him wobbled, and Carl prayed that he could maneuver his way out before more pain hit his tired body. The figures still didn't turn from the window, but he knew that they knew he was there. He made it free of the chairs and got back to his feet. He ran toward the kitchen, hoping to find anyone that was left. It was empty. The smell of gas filled the air. One by one, flames sprang up under each burner on the long, long stove. 
The door to the kitchen locked on its own. Carl raced forward, but no amount of twisting or pushing could move it. The scent of gas grew stronger. Carl banged on the door, screaming for help. A devious laugh answered his cries. He was starting to grow faint. The gas was going to his head in the close space. He tried to turn on the fans overhead to ventilate the air, but they were stuck. He didn't want to die here. He rammed his shoulder into the door, but it held firm. He tried once more, pushing all of his weight against the wood. The figures of mist passed through him, laughing. The room was getting hotter. His shirt was soaked through with sweat. In his hazy state, he shuffled toward the walk-in freezer. It was cooler there. If he kept something on the outside, he could use that to open the door later. Maybe the ghost would grow tired of prey that didn't move. He tied a chef's coat around the outside handle of the door and dragged the rest of it inside the room with him. The material was just thick enough that it should prevent the seal from fully closing. The icy air was a shock to his system. He sat on the frozen floor. He could feel the chill through his dress pants. A searing cold made its way through his body. His head started to clear slightly, but he was tired. His entire body ached. He waited for the ghosts to appear, but no figures rose inside the icy room. He pushed the door open to check what was going on. The burners were still switched on, and the smell of gas was overpowering. In the center of the room stood the same figures that had plagued him all night. One lifted his glass in a sardonic toast. He shut the door slowly. He just had to wait it out. His eyes slid shut briefly. He just needed a little rest. He'd wake up in five minutes and try to break down the door again. As Carl slept, the burner shut off. The chef's coat slowly slipped to the floor. Without a barrier, the door sealed itself shut. His last hope of protection, gone. But on he slept, peaceful, despite the partying spirits he heard outside. Or thought he heard. He'd know better when he'd slept, only a little. He never woke up. As you might expect, the seafood at Moss Beach Distillery is excellent. All those living things pulled wriggling and twitching from the dark depths of our last frontier. The horror-themed former speakeasy now hosts weddings and even a recurring murder mystery dinner. The place has become so far removed from its dark legacy that even the blue lady herself tends to stay away, replaced with effects that evoke a cheap haunted house. It's an exercise in opposites, fine dining and cheesy stunts, parties and prohibition, life and death. The distillery sits eternally between, just as it divides the sand from the sea. So let us buy you a drink. 
What's the worst that could happen? Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. A new episode comes out every Thursday. Listen to all of ParCast's podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Many people ask how they can help the show. And if you enjoy Haunted Places, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. We'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Ron Shapiro. With production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Lil DeRitter and Jennifer Richet. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>